Thank you very much. It is uh, great to be back here again in Circle Drive. It's been a, a little while, and I don't know that I've ever had the, uh, the pleasure to, to speak here before, but it's great. And it's great to be here on Thanksgiving Sunday, uh, and it's great uh, to be here for uh, a day where we're going to give great thanks uh, for the new gift that has arrived uh, to the Circle family. And it's my honor, it's my privilege to be able to share with you what I think is my story of thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Now, many of those who know me know my unique, weird, strange, uh, eccentric, creepy <laughs> pastime. Whenever I travel, what I like to do is I like to photograph the graves of the famous. So I have been to the graves of uh, those as diverse as uh, Julius Caesar and John Wayne, uh, Marilyn Monroe and John Dillinger, Tommy Douglas, JFK, and even for those of you who are old enough to remember him, the grave of Robert Hummy, the friendly giant. Oh, yeah, I can spot all the gray hairs now. Oh, yeah. uh, recently, I added to my collection perhaps the most famous of all Canadians, Tim Horton. I, I have, asked my wife who's here with me, literally hundreds of other photographs. Uh, currently, I'm working on a book proposal with publishers uh, where I'm going to tell the history of Christian thought uh, through the biographies of its most famous theologians, its most famous thinkers. And these biographies will actually start by talking about where these people are buried and then work backwards through their lives and through their influence and end with where they were born. Publishers have tons of interest in this book, and, and almost every publisher I've talked to thinks that book ought to be published by somebody else. <laughs> but they all love my proposed title for this book, The Underground Church. <laughs> huh? A lot of people ask me where this hobby started, and I, I can't really say for sure. Uh, it may have been as a child visiting my family's hometown and meeting some ancestors I had never met before. Perhaps, though, it started when I was in seminary, and I worked weekends and evenings at a local funeral home. And I saw all sorts of things there while I worked there, things that most people never see and understandably have no interest in seeing. One experience, however, stands out. It was the summer of 1995, and a young man committed suicide by purposefully laying himself on the tracks in front of an approaching train. The engineers, of course, were helpless to do anything about it. But after a quick autopsy, I mean, the cause of his death was pretty apparent. The body was brought to my place of work, and, and 
I vividly remember the horrible condition of his body. An artist was brought in to prepare a sketch of this young man in the hope that someone, somewhere, somehow, would not only identify him, but claim him as their own. For weeks, the police and media outlets across Canada tried to identify this young man so that they could contact his family and they could bring him home and they could give him a proper funeral. And since it was impossible to embalm this young man, the funeral home basically had to can him to preserve him while it waited for his family to appear. After almost an entire year, he went unclaimed. He went unidentified. After that full year, nobody came forward to claim him. Social services, which had paid the expenses at that point, uh, thought it was now time to uh, bury him, and so they instructed the funeral home to do so. And the owner of the funeral home felt that that this young man deserved a, a funeral of some kind as much as anybody else. And so he approached me as a seminarian and asked if I'd be willing to conduct this graveside service. That was beyond the responsibility of social services, and, and he picked up the tab. Well, of course, I did so, and I was deeply honored and I was deeply moved to have done it. There were only a very few of us present at that service. Myself, the two funeral home employees, the coroner, two police officers, and a couple of guys from the, the cemetery. And so I was pastor and pallbearer and mourner, all rolled into one. And there's a sense in which ever since then, more than anybody else, I felt present there that day. I remember thinking how very tragic this whole scene was. And my heart broke for this young man that nobody seemed to miss. That nobody seemed to know. That nobody seemed to love and including the funerals of my father and my mother and my brother, I felt that this was the hardest graveside that I ever walked away from. If I remember correctly, it was a bit of a chilly, damp, and windy morning. But by the grace of God, I am who I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. I was three years old when he moved into the neighborhood, into the house across the street. He had been adopted by our neighbors who already had a brood of eight kids of their own. It'll become probably no surprise to you that Donnie and I became the best of friends. We grew up together. We did 
everything together. We were inseparable. Where you found one of us, you were sure to find the other. We walked to and from school together every day, twice a day, for years and years and years. We were often late for school together. Sometimes we skipped school together. We eventually dropped out of school together. We went to Sunday school together. We learned the Bible stories together. We went through catechism, confirmation together. We were in Cubs together. We played baseball together. We played hockey together. We played football together. We camped together. We went to the beach together. We were prairie boys, so we hunted gophers together. We, we were prairie boys, so we developed an interest in girls together. Sometimes we developed the interest in the same girl together. On hot summer nights, we jumped into the local public pool after hours together. We shoplifted and stole things together more than once. We got caught together more than once. We drank our first beer together. By grade four or so, we smoked our first pot together. Not much later, we smoked our first hash together. Our trajectory seemed to be set. More often than I care to remember, could probably even count, we got stoned together. We did everything together. Everything. Everything. We were inseparable. We were the closest of friends. The trajectory that we were on, however, together, had no good destination. 1 Corinthians 15.10 but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. It was grade 11. We were still in school. Uh, and some group called Youth for Christ was advertising a burger bash in my local high school, all the burgers you could eat for two dollars that was that was our kind of event and so donnie and i went to the burger bash together we went and had a great time together another friend of mine uh, 
a son of a Bible college professor, let us know that this group held events like this every week. And they also let us know that some of the girls that we were quite interested in went to those pretty regularly as well. And so we went together. I found the conversations that they were having interesting. I found the atmosphere welcoming. I continued to attend. Donnie did not. And because those people explicitly and repeatedly and probably imperfectly shared the gospel with me, shared their stories of faith with me, their own journeys with me, my life began to find a new trajectory. I came into dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Right, if you will, I came to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I begin to see Donnie less and less as our interests began to grow further and further apart. And soon, I was welcomed by a local Alliance Church, just a bunch of normal, imperfect people, where I was nurtured, where I was discipled, where I was encouraged, where I was loved, and even eventually hired on staff. After years and years of continued drug abuse, Donnie died in police holding cells. He was only 33. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. A few years ago, as is my habit, I was reading in my hometown newspaper, and they came across an article about John Doe. And it seems like a darling woman felt it was a shame that his grave had remained unmarked and was actually granted permission to raise a stone on his behalf. A couple of weeks after that, I was back in my hometown, where I now live again, with my family uh, for the funeral of my own dear mother-in-law. And on the day after the funeral, I made my way back to the cemetery because I had some business uh, to take care of. And as I was in the cemetery office, it struck me that while I was there, I should take the opportunity 
to stop by and see this new marker that this gracious lady had uh, paid for, had erected on behalf of John Doe, this lost and this tragic figure. And so I found, uh, got the location for where he was interred, where he was buried, and I made my way there. Uh, pulling up to the proper section, I uh, parked the car, got out, camera in hand, of course, and I returned to that place for just 20 years prior. I had found so very, very hard to leave. You know, I felt an unusually, an unusual strong tie to this man that as far as I know, I never knew. I felt, I guess, by my attendance at his service, by conducting his service, I became the family that he didn't seem to have. And so there, finally, I stood almost 20, where I had almost 20 years prior, but this time at the foot of John Doe's grave instead of at the head. And there I stood, deeply appreciative of the generosity of the woman who had placed the marker there, just struck by her generosity for this person that likely she never met and she never knew in the hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, whatever the price of these is nowadays, that she paid out of pocket for that marker and just overwhelmed by her generosity or thoughtfulness. But I also thought about how long, and I, I, I thought long about how despondent, how lost, how hopeless that young man must have felt to have done so purposefully what he did. And I thought about how messed up the trajectory of his life must have been. And so uh, a little overcome with emotion, I took a deep breath trying to compose myself. But there is no way that I could be ready for what I was about to see, for what I was about to feel. Because as I stepped back with my head down and turning slightly to the left, there it was. Immediately, immediately to the left of John Doe's grave was another marker, a marker that to me was just as tragic. Donnie was buried immediately beside John Doe. I thought I was going to be sick. When I tell the story, I still feel that way a little bit. And I stood there for I don't know how long in stunned silence. And then, and then, I heard it, almost audibly, 
for words. You are John Doe. You are John Doe. And apart from my grace in your life, you are John Doe. I mean, after all, Donnie and I did everything together. We were inseparable. And now there they are together, the two of them, side by side, until the Lord returns. Donnie and this lost, lost soul. I am convinced that the voice is absolutely right. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. You know, truth be told, what's true of me is true of us all. It's true of each of us. It's true of you. Apart from the grace of God in our lives, you too are John Doe. Apart from the grace of God, the trajectory of your life would have no good destination. If I can restate 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 10, but by the grace of God you are what you are, and his grace to you was not without effect. You know, I doubt that you've ever had the stark John, Mo John Doe moment like I have. You may have grown up by people of faith. You may have grown up in faith. You, you might have had a pretty, pretty nice life growing up. And you can't imagine what it would be like to stand in my shoes, let alone to be in their place. But still, why not let this story, why not let this moment on Thanksgiving Day serve you in a similar way to remind you of the effects of God's grace in your life and to encourage you as you lean on him to speak to others about what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus has done in you, who Jesus is to you. But still, I realize, either online or even here with us uh, in the building, that it's entirely possible that some of you 
may find yourself today in John Doe's shoes. The trajectory of your life as it stands is bleak. Maybe you feel lost. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like your life is totally out of control. Maybe you feel like there's just no hope. And maybe nobody else knows it. But it's true nonetheless. And as a result, like John Doe, like my John Doe, you may have considered doing something rash, something final. To you I say, as Scripture says, the grace of God is not without effect. Beyond that, this same Scripture tells us that this gracious God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, as our song earlier reminded us. He's done it before. That tells us he can do it again. But it also reminds us that we're all John Doe's, that we're all tragic figures in some way. It tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just you and not just me, but each and every one of us. But it also tells us that God is no respecter of persons. And what that means is that when he thinks of you, he doesn't think more of you, he doesn't think less of you than he thinks of somebody else, than he thinks of me, or than he even thinks of Pastor John. After all, I think it's fair to say that everyone that God deals with, everyone is like me, a John Doe. And what all this means for those of you who are feeling lost and despondent is simply this, that your trajectory need not be your destiny. Your trajectory doesn't have to be your destiny. All you have to do, as I did, is come to him. All you have to do, as I did, is reach out to him. All you have to do is call out to him. And, best of all, you can do that now, wherever you are. You don't have to be better. You don't have to get better. Actually, he specializes in John Doe's. He specializes in tough cases, right? The Bible is actually a book about God working in the lives of countless John Doe's. 
It's a book about the grace of God not being without effect. And if it's your desire to have your trajectory not be your destiny, I'm going to lead us in a prayer just to close this section that I invite you to make your own. So I'm going to ask us all to pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. I know that I am lost and I am headed nowhere good. And I ask for your forgiveness. I call out for your help. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And right now I hope and place my great faith in the fact that he extends his grace to me. And so I turn from the way I've been going. I turn from my trajectory. And I invite you to come into my heart, to come into my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord, as my Savior, as my reason for being. Oh, Lord, help me to do so. And I pray this thing in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. One last thing. If you, if you prayed that prayer at home or here with us today, you could not have done anything today that would have made me more joyful, more happy, more full of thanksgiving. Yet, if that's the case, or even if you're not quite sure yet about what you want to do, what you ought to do, let me encourage you to contact Pastor John or somebody here at the church and tell them about the step you've taken, or if you're not quite there yet, to talk about the questions or concerns that you might still have. He'd love to hear from, and he'd love to chat to you. Thank you.